glad you're here tonight. Uh, if we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Brandon, and I'm one of the members of the teaching team here at Element City Church. And tonight we are continuing in our series entitled Let Hope In. This is week four. So if you've missed any of the previous weeks, I'd encourage you to log on to our website, elementcitychurch.org. You can watch the videos there and get caught up. But just so that we're kind of all on the same page, I want to recap kind of what we've talked about. The premise of this series is that all of us are looking for hope. All of us are looking for something when we get out of bed in the morning to give us a sense of purpose. And we may not think about it that way, but really when when we go through our day, we want to know that at the end of the day, things are going to be all right, that there really is a source of hope, someone or something worth putting our faith and trust in. And if you're here and maybe you're not a religious person uh, or you're not a Christian and you're kind of not sure what you think about uh, Christianity or Jesus or God, uh, we're glad you're here. And maybe for you, hope is uh, kind of an elusive or a fleeting thing. It's a pursuit that you go after. Maybe there's someone or something for a season of life that brings you hope. Uh, but at the end of the day, you're not sure that that hope is going to last. Or maybe because of past experiences, you know that that hope isn't going to last. You know that it's going to fade. Or maybe you're at the point in your life where you've been let down so many times by the things you've put your hope in that you've come, kind of come to the place where you're beginning to wonder, is there anything worth putting my hope in? And if that's where you're at, we are glad you're here. We're glad you're at this church because we are a church that believes that hope is available. Hope is a person and his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus came, he lived the perfect life that we could not live. He died the death for sins that you and I should have died. And he was raised back to life so that through his death and resurrection, we would have the opportunity to be in a right place relationship with God, but not just a right relationship, but one that is defined by purpose and meaning an intimate relationship. One where we're actually invited to call God our heavenly father. That's the hope that we believe Jesus brought with him. And the offer of that hope is available to each and every person here. But here's the reality that we've discussed and that we're going to continue discussing tonight as we go through this series. That even though that hope is available, there are some choices that each and every one of us has to make if we want to experience the full depth of the hope that Jesus came to bring us. And so when we started this series, the first week, we talked about some choices that we need to make, like a choice uh, to uh, transform our pain rather than transfer our pain. That instead of taking the junk in our past and allowing it to impact our present and keep us from what God has for us in the future, that we instead allow God's grace and mercy to shine a big spotlight on that and we begin to use the hurt to transform our lives. And we begin to use that as we reach out and as we serve others. Then the next week we talked about the idea that confession is greater than concealment. That the only way we're going to experience hope, ultimately, is to be honest about who we are. Not only with God, but with each other. That there's no use pretending, and that it's okay to not be okay. And then last week, we talked about this idea that trusting in God is greater than trying to please God. 
And so many of us go through life and we find ourselves on almost a religious treadmill where we're endlessly trying and failing to please God. And we wake up one day and we just, we're burnt out and we're done and we're tired. And we wonder if it's even worth it to go forward. But as we saw last week, trusting in God's power and strength is much, much greater and far more effective in helping us to change and become the kind of people that God wants us to be than simply trying through our own efforts. Tonight, we're going to look at a fourth choice. And and here's the fourth choice that we're going to look at. The choice to forgive rather than keep score. Choice four, forgiving others rather than keeping score. And, And, you know, when you talk about forgiveness, in the simplest terms, forgiveness is canceling a debt. But as we kind of talk about forgiveness tonight, here's what we mean by that. Forgiveness means releasing others from the debt that they owe us as a result of the wrong that they committed against us. Forgiveness means releasing others from the debt they owe us as a result of the wrong that they committed against us. You see, forgiveness is not natural. Our natural response is to go in the other direction. And we don't think about it usually in these terms, but when someone wrongs us, when someone does something that hurts us or offends us, we attach a value to that hurt, don't we? We attach a a kind of a mental score and we say, well, you know, that was like seven points. And so now that person is in debt seven points with us. And what we think in our minds is the only way I can be back in a healthy, right relationship with this person is to kind of even the score. And so we start thinking about how we might go out and even the score. And our natural response to to get rid of that debt is not to offer forgiveness It's to keep score and to try to figure out how to make the other person pay. And this is something that we're almost born with this instinct. Uh, My daughter is a little over two years old, so she's not quite at this stage yet. But there is a day coming in the future. And and I just know this because I've been around kids enough. And it seems like no matter where I've been around the kids, I've I've heard this. There is a day coming where there's going to be a group of little girls or... No, there won't be any boys because I'm not going to allow that. But there will be a group of little girls and they will be running around in the backyard... And they'll be having fun, and and then somebody is going to do something to offend the other person. And in that moment, there is going to be a beatdown. Not a physical beatdown, but a verbal beatdown. In that moment, the person who was wronged, the person who was offended, is going to look at the person that hurt them, and they are going to say the seven deadliest words in a child's vocabulary. You're not invited to my birthday party, right? Because there's just something about kids. It's like there's a hurt and they know they got to even the score and there's this injustice within them that rises up and the, the greatest thing they could think of to withhold from that other person is the joy of coming to their birthday party. Now, when I was a kid, this was not a big deal, okay? If I said you're not coming to my party, you missed out on cake, ice cream, and some corny birthday games. But nowadays, my goodness. Have you been to a kid's birthday party recently? It is out of control. They have like giant warehouses with inflatable games. I'm like, whose party is this? Is it for the kid or is it for the adults? 
right? Or they've got warehouses with trampolines in it. Or, or last week when we were, we were leaving our community to come here and there was a birthday party going on at the community park. And I mean, there is like table after table piled with food and gifts and there's inflatable games and there, there is a portable rock climbing wall. I mean, there are kids suspended 30 feet up in the air. And I'm going, I feel left out. Like, I want to go to that birthday party. See, there's just, there is something in us from an early age. When we're wrong, we want to even the score. And we may laugh and it might be funny when kids say that, especially because, let's face it, they never carry through on it. Um, But here's the reality. We do the same thing when we're older, don't we? Not with our birthday parties, but in the words we say, in the words we don't say, in the thoughts we think, in the way we treat others, in the way we include certain people and exclude other people. See, there's something in us. It's that sense of justice that God has put within us, which is part of the image of God. But when we're wrong... This need to get even, it just, it rises up within us. And we find ourselves wanting to keep score. Because when we're hurt, we think to ourselves, the, per- the person who did that to me needs to pay. He needs to understand what I'm going through. She needs to understand how it felt when she said that to me. And so as a result of that, We go out, and so oftentimes, we try and even the score with them. And again, this is not something we consciously do, but a lot of times when somebody hurts us, we respond in one of three ways, or we respond in some combination of these. The first thing we do so often is we retaliate. I mean, we just go right and give it straight back to the other person. Oh, you did not just say that to me. Well, here's what I think of you. And we just go, boom. And some of you, that's your temperament. I mean, you're quick. When somebody comes at you and somebody hurts you, you're quick to respond and to lash out at them, to retaliate, to even the score. A lot of us, uh, we take another approach. We tend to resent people when they hurt us. And here's the thing about resentment. We go into it thinking, well, I'm a better person than that, so I'm not going to actually say anything to them. I'm just going to think about it. And I know that none of you have probably ever done this, but... I mean, I have had some really just dark imaginary conversations with people after they've hurt me. And here's the thing about it. I am like 10 times better uh, at public speaking when I'm having these conversations. I always win. I mean, I am undefeated in these conversations. I don't just even the score. I take it to the next level. I mean, I've got Bible verses, right? And it's like, oh, you tell there's a little Bible verse dart to make you feel extra guilty. I mean, you know, and confession is greater than concealment, okay? So I've, I've let that out of the bag. Don't let it leave the room, okay? Another response we have, and this is perhaps the most dangerous response, is to retreat when others hurt us. We pull back. Maybe for some of you, that was your story with church. Maybe you've been away and you're kind of just now coming back. And the fact is that somewhere along the line, somebody hurt you. And as a result of that, there was some resentment there. Maybe there was a little bit of retaliation, but ultimately you just decided to retreat. You decided to pull back. 
from them. And I'm not talking about extreme cases, cases where like it's dangerous for you to be around somebody. I'm talking about normal, everyday conflict that is going to happen in a relationship between two imperfect people. When we choose to retreat rather than to forgive the other person, we only harm ourselves in the long run. See, so oftentimes when somebody does something to hurt us, we, we want to retaliate. We want to, or we do, resent the other person, and we end up retreating. But here's the incredible thing about the hope that Jesus offers us. He offers us another way. He offers us the path of forgiveness. And as we're going to see tonight, it's not an easy path. Forgiveness always carries with it a price. Somebody always has to pick up the cost. But it's a cost that is always worth it. Now, when you talk about the idea of forgiveness, and and if you're here and you've been a Christian a while, you know, this idea of, well, hey, I ought to forgive others when they wrong me. I ought to kind of wipe the slate clean. That's probably not a new idea for you. Even if you're a new Christian or you're just kind of coming back, um, or maybe you have like no uh, thoughts at all about Jesus. You're not even sure why you're here, but your friend invited you and you came in and you're like, wow, you know, the music's exciting. It's a little foggy, but um, you know, the fog's kind of clearing and uh, you know, everybody seems friendly and nice. And these people look like me. And you know, even if that's you, this idea of forgiveness is, is probably not new to you. Because if Jesus came and preached the message of God's love and forgiveness for us, and he gave to us a commission to go out and to tell others about him, and to go out and to live lives that are exemplary of the kind of love and grace and forgiveness that he extends, it just kind of makes sense that we would forgive. So most of us, when it comes to forgiveness, we don't struggle with the idea that we need to forgive. We struggle with the idea of understanding why it's so crucial that we forgive. Why do we need to forgive? What's at stake? And how in the world do I get to a place, especially when I have been hurt deeply, where I can begin to forgive others, to release those people from the debt that they owe me, this, um, this debt that I've assigned the hurt, how do I get to a place where I wipe the slate clean? That's what we're going to talk about here tonight. And to, to kind of serve as a foundation for our discussion, I want to look at just a couple of verses in Colossians chapter 3. If you have your Bible, you can turn there or you can navigate there on your smartphone. By the way, if you have a smartphone, uh, version is a great free Bible app. It has a lot of different translations on it. um, And so you can download that for free afterwards, um, or the verses will be up on the screen behind me here. Uh, But here's what's happening in Colossians chapter three. The apostle Paul, guy who wrote much of the new Testament, he's writing to a group of Christians. So what that means for us is that if you're here and you're a Christian, that what we're going to discuss tonight is what we have been called to. If you're not a Christian, we are so glad you're here. And here's the advantage for you. You kind of get to stand on the sidelines and decide if you want to play or not. But for those of us who are here who have said, you know what, I'm trusting in Jesus' death and resurrection as the payment for my sins. This is not an option for us, this kind of life. And so Paul says this, uh, Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved... Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, 
gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Now, when he says, if any of you has a grievance, he's not actually wondering if there's going to be a grievance. He's making the assumption there's going to be problems. And Paul is saying, life is messy. If you're going to be in community with one another, you're going to get hurt. And in those moments, when you have these grievances against one another, you need to forgive each other. Now, we hear that, and maybe you're like me. You kind of want to push back on that, don't you? Because you've got a story, just like I have a story. And you are thinking what I'm thinking. Well, you know what, Paul? If, if you knew those special circumstances that applied to my situation, th- then you would have kind of, you might have put a footnote in the text and you would have given me an out. And here's the reality that, uh, of, of this topic is that when you talk about forgiveness and when you talk about releasing someone from the hurts that they've caused you. That can land in a lot of different places because what I know about a room this size with this many people in it is that there are some people in here who have been hurt in ways that I can't even begin to comprehend. And as we talk about forgiveness, I am not standing up here in the least bit trying to pretend that I understand what you're going through because in many ways I don't understand And so my hope is not to try and say that what you're feeling is wrong and that you suddenly need to change the way you feel. My hope is instead to show you tonight that if you want to experience the fullness of the hope that Jesus came to offer, then one of the decisions you will have to make along the way is the decision to forgive others rather than keep Score And see, I know because I do this when, when I'm sitting in an audience and somebody else is speaking. I know some of you have been sitting there and you've been having a conversation with me. You've been arguing. You've been uh, coming up with some objections. And if we were to sit down and you were to tell me your story and I were to hear all of the circumstances, you would say, this is why I just can't forgive the other person. I would listen to everything you said and I would say, you know what? You are right to feel that way. You are right to feel that way. And so if that's kind of you, and if you're sitting there and you're having those thoughts, then, then here's maybe a chance for you to re-engage. Or if you, gonna, you got sidetracked because you're like, what's the score of the basketball game? And, and how long is he going to go? Am I going to make it home for the second half? Right. So here's your chance to kind of come back in. Because I want to talk for just a couple of minutes about what forgiveness is not. We said forgiveness means releasing someone from the debt they owe us as a result of of whatever wrong they committed against us. So now let's talk about a couple of things that forgiveness is not. One of the things forgiveness does not mean, forgiveness does not mean condoning what the other person did. Forgiveness does not mean that what was done to you is okay. Sometimes we struggle to forgive because we think, if I forgive the other person, if I release them from that debt, then it makes it okay what was done to me. No, it doesn't. Forgiveness does not mean condoning what was done to you. And we know this if we just stop and think about our relationship with our Heavenly Father. He didn't look down at us and say, Well, your sin, eh, no big deal. It was such a big deal that He had to send His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross as the payment 
for our sins because real authentic forgiveness is never cheap. It always carries with it a price. And the greater the hurt, the greater the offense, the steeper the price. And God looked down at us and he said, I love them so much that I'm going to send my son so that I can offer forgiveness, so that I can wipe the slate clean. But it doesn't mean that sin is not a big deal. Forgiveness does not mean that what was done to you is okay. Another thing forgiveness does not mean is that we are immediately reconciled to the other person. Forgiveness is not a guarantee of reconciliation. Forgiveness is a precursor to reconciliation. But forgiveness does not guarantee that we will be reconciled. In fact, in some cases, especially if it's dangerous physically for you to be around someone or if somebody continues over and over and over to hurt you in the same way with no desire to change, uh, it might be best for a season or for a long season to not be reconciled to that person in terms of not being in a close relationship with them. Forgiveness, we can still release that person without automatically being in a reconciled relationship with them. And finally, another thing forgiveness is not, is forgiveness is not, uh, does not mean that we are going to forget what happened to us. Now we've all heard the statement, right? Forgive and forget. It, it kind of sounds like a good idea, right? Forgive and forget. But, but if you stop and think about it, there's some problems with it. Okay, show of hands. How many of you can think back to a time in elementary school or junior high where someone said something hurtful to you and you can still remember what was said. That's all of us. You may have forgiven that person, but the reality is that we don't always forget. And in some cases, forgetting is not even a good idea. I mean, if I loaned you a thousand dollars and you did not pay me back. And so time went on and I just say, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I'm just going to forgive the debt. I'm not going to say anything about it. You come back to me six months later and, and you ask me for another thousand dollars. So I do that. And the same thing happens again. And I forgive your debt. How smart is it if you come a third time and say, Hey, can I have a thousand dollars? How smart would it be for me to give you a thousand dollars? So you can forgive without forgetting. Just like forgiveness does not mean that what was done to you was okay. And forgiveness does not mean that you will be automatically or immediately reconciled to somebody else. Now, with that in mind, listen to the way Paul closes verse 13 in Colossians. Because here he's going to give us the why we ought to forgive. He says this, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Paul says, look, you don't forgive because you feel like it, because in many cases you won't. You don't forgive because the other person deserves it, because in many cases they won't deserve it. You don't forgive when the other person feels bad about what was done to you, because in many cases the other person won't feel bad. You don't forgive when the other person feels sorry for what they did, because in many cases they won't feel sorry. And you don't even wait to forgive them until they ask for forgiveness, because in many cases they won't ask for forgiveness. You forgive because that's what God has done for you. See, God, as a perfect and holy God, he could have looked down at us and said, you know what? Your sin is something you can never make up for. But he didn't. 
He sent Jesus to die on the cross in our place so that our sins could be forgiven. And so that through his grace and power working in us, we could learn to extend that same kind of forgiveness to others. See, we forgive because God has forgiven us. And forgiven people forgive. Forgiven people forgive. So the truth is, we love the idea of forgiveness when we're on the receiving end. When we wrong someone, when we ask for their forgiveness, we love when they say, yes, I forgive you. We love to be on the receiving end of God's forgiveness. But there's just something in us, isn't there? That when we're the one extending the forgiveness, a wall goes up. But we were not meant to be reservoirs of God's forgiveness. We were meant to be conduits. God's forgiveness flows freely to us in the person of Christ, and it flows freely out of us to others, whether they seek that forgiveness or not. Forgiven people forgive. And when we as Christians say, either out loud or with our actions, when we say, you know what? I'm not going to forgive the other person. I'm just not going to wipe the slate clean. That offense is too much. Here's what we're really saying. God, I love the fact that you've forgiven me and I'm grateful for that. But I'm just not willing to extend that same level of grace and mercy and forgiveness that you've shown to me to others. See, forgiven people forgive. And you say, well, well, how? How do you get to a place, especially when, when you've been hurt deeply? How do you get to a place where you can really and truly release someone from this debt that they owe you? And, you know, in one sense, answering that question is kind of difficult because if I give you an answer, it runs the risk of, of kind of having everything be a little too nice and neat. But there is an answer. One that I've seen in my life and one that I've seen in the lives of countless others. And that is that you reflect on God's forgiveness for you. How do you get to a place where you can forgive others? You reflect on God's forgiveness for you. And when you spend time reflecting on God's forgiveness for you, it does incredible things things in your life. Your heart begins to soften. You begin to see other people in a different way. C.S. Lewis was uh, one of the greatest uh, Christian thinkers and writers of the 20th century. And in his book, The Weight of Glory, he said this. He said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. When you reflect on what your sin cost Jesus, when you reflect on the fact that God showed you grace and mercy, when you think about the fact that what was done to you, no matter how horrible it was, is not as offensive as what your sin was to a holy and perfect God, it changes everything. And that doesn't mean forgiveness is easy. And that doesn't mean that what happened to you wasn't a big deal, because it was 
And no doubt some of you have been hurt in ways that I can't even begin to imagine. And so who am I to stand up here and talk about forgiveness as if it's just a switch that goes off? Because what have I faced that's anything close to what you've faced? And you're right, I haven't faced any of that. But I do know that there are a lot of people who have experienced the forgiveness that Jesus offers who have faced horrible, incredible circumstances, circumstances that should have made them completely unable to forgive others. And yet by God's grace, they have found a way to extend forgiveness to others. They have found a way to be a conduit and to let God's forgiveness flow to them and through them to others. And one of those individuals is a man named Louis Zamperini. Uh, Louis Zamperini, uh, his story is told in the book Unbroken, written by Laura Hillenbrand. Great book. Um, if you have a chance to read it, came out a few years ago. It was a New York Times bestseller. Zamperini was an American distance runner in the 1936 Olympics. Uh, he was, at the time, the youngest distance runner to ever compete for the, uh, for the Americans. And four years later, he was a favorite to win gold in the mile. But as you know... Um, the world was at war at that time. And so in the 1940 Olympic Games were canceled. And like so many young men in his generation, uh, Zamperini signed up to serve his country. He served in the Army Air Corps. And one night in May of 1943, his plane went down in the Pacific Ocean. It crashed. And only two other men besides Zamperini survived. And for 47 days, they drifted on a pair of rafts, floating, it was estimated, 2,000 miles from their crash site. One of the men dies. Zemperini and the other man are eventually rescued, but not by the Americans. They're rescued by the Japanese. A few weeks go by, turns into months, and Zemperini finds himself uh, at Omari POW camp. And the treatment that he endures there is difficult to read. There was one guard in particular, Matsuhiro Watanabe, who had it out for Zemperini. When Zemperini came, he said, I know this man. He's the American runner. And so all of the hate, all of the anger, all of the vengeance he felt as a Japanese general for the Americans and the war, all of that he focused solely on Zemperini beating him with his belt, cracking his skull open, forcing him uh, to do things that no human should ever have to do. It's hard to even imagine that one human could treat another that way. Well, a couple years go by, the Americans uh, drop the atomic bombs, they win the war, and the POWs are released, and Zamperini returns home. He gets married, and he tries to adjust to life um, back in, uh, in America post-war. But like any soldier would, he struggles with anger and bitterness. He has PTSD flashbacks. He fantasizes. In fact, he's consumed with going back to Japan to murder this guard, Watanabe. And he wakes up one night in a cold sweat. And he's on top of his pregnant wife, choking her because that was the dream he was having. He was choking this guard that had brutalized him. He turns to alcohol. His life is a complete and total train wreck. Then one night, 1949, his wife asks him to come and to hear a young traveling preacher who was in town, a guy named Billy Graham. And so Zamperini goes, he listens to Graham preach, 
And the end comes and they get up and they leave during the closing prayer. And his wife begs him to come back the next night. And so he says, okay, fine, I'll go, but here's the condition. We are leaving when he says every head bowed and every eyes closed. We're not staying for that closing prayer. And so they go, he sits through the message. Graham begins to offer the invitation for people to receive Christ. The Zemperinis get up to leave. And as he's walking out of the tent, he remembers back to one of those nights as he was floating in the Pacific. A night when he looked up at God and he made him a promise. And he said, God, if you will get me out of this, I'll give you my life. He turns around and he walks down the aisle. And almost instantly, he becomes a new man. The hope of Jesus invades his life. The following year, 1950, he's invited to go back to Japan uh, with a group of American soldiers. Of course, at this point, the Americans and the Japanese have been rounding up a lot of war criminals, and they're beginning the process of trying them. And he's in this room sitting before some of the very guards that had beaten him and brutalized him. And, And he's looking out at them, and for the first time, he has not thoughts of revenge, but thoughts of pity, thoughts of compassion. And he walks each to each one and he extends his hand. He offers his forgiveness. But see, there's one man who wasn't there that night. Mutsuhiro Watanabe had not yet been captured. In fact, as time went on, he never was captured. It was presumed that he had committed suicide. He had actually gone into hiding. And so fast forward to 1998. Zamparini is getting ready to return to Japan Uh, to run with the Olympic torch prior to the start of the Winter Games. And a year before that, a producer for 60 Minutes had acted on a tip, and he had actually found this guard, Mutsuhiro Watanabe. And of course, at this point, Zemparini's story is known kind of widely across America. And so this guy says, wow, i got to sit down and see if I can get an interview with Watanabe. So he sits down, he agrees to the interview, they interview him about his treatment of Zamperini, and they ask him, would you sit down for a face-to-face, on-camera interview with Louis Zamperini? And he says, yes. And so Zamperini's getting ready to go to Japan, and ultimately that meeting never took place. But as he's getting ready to go to Japan, he sits down at his computer one night, and he writes a letter. And I want to read you this letter, because I want you to listen to what can happen when you make the choice to forgive others rather than keeping score. I want you to listen to how radically God's forgiveness can change you. It says to Mutsuhiro Watanabe, As a result of my prisoner of war experience under your unwarranted and unreasonable punishment, my post-war life became a nightmare. It was not so much due to the pain and suffering as it was the tension of stress and humiliation that caused me to hate with a vengeance. Under your discipline, my rights, not only as a prisoner of war, but also as a human being, were stripped from me. It was a struggle to maintain enough dignity and hope to live until the war's end. The post-war nightmares caused my life to crumble. But thanks to a confrontation with God through the evangelist Billy Graham, I committed my life to Christ. Love replaced the hate I had for you. Christ said, forgive your enemies and pray for them. As you probably know, I returned to Japan in 1952 and was graciously allowed to address all the Japanese war criminals at Sugamo Prison. I asked then about you and was told that you had probably committed Harakiri, 
It's a ritual suicide, which I was sad to hear. At that moment, like the others, I also forgave you and now would hope that you would also become a Christian. Louis Zamperini. Forgiven people forgive. And here's the secret of forgiveness. When they do, not only do they set themselves free, they set the other person free. Forgiveness does as as much in the other person as it does in ourselves. That we're changed. Our hearts are softened. That we become different people when we stop holding on to the bitterness and the anger and the resentment that's inside of us because the power that those have is broken when we choose to forgive others. And there are some of you in here who might be hanging on to something and for a variety of reasons, you're not able to tell that other person that you forgive them. Maybe because you can't see them. Maybe because they're no longer living. Maybe because it wouldn't be wise for you to see them. But that doesn't mean that you can't extend forgiveness, that you can't release them. Maybe you need to sit down sometime and write a letter to that person, releasing them and forgiving them. See, forgiveness is what breaks the power of anger. Forgiveness is what breaks the bitterness and the resentment. It's what pulls those roots out of our hearts and enables us to love others and forgive others the way that God intends for us to forgive. So the truth is, you will never experience freedom and hope unless you choose to forgive others rather than keep score. And that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. There's going to be some difficulties along the way. But by God's grace, you can learn to be a person who forgives. You can become someone who says, you know what? Forgiven people forgive. And I'm going to forgive that person that hurt me. In just a few minutes, we're going to have the opportunity to take communion. And we have a couple additional communion stations straight up the aisle here. Uh, And so things will hopefully go a little more smoothly uh, this week. But as you go to that table and as you stand there and you take uh, the bread which represents Christ's body, which is broken for us. And as you hold that cup of juice and you drink it, which represents the blood that Jesus poured out for us, what an incredible picture of forgiveness. Let that be a moment for you where you remember and say, you know what? Forgiven people forgive. And just reflect on God's forgiveness for you. Just imagine if we at Element City Church became a church that was known as a group of people who lived by this idea that forgiven people forgive. And we don't do it because we feel like it and we don't do it because the other person deserves it. We do it because that's what God has done for us. And out of gratitude, we want to extend that same forgiveness to others. If we became that kind of church, it would change this community around us. If you want to let hope in, then one of the choices you have to make is to forgive others rather than keeping score. Let's pray.
Father, that's uh, that's easy to to talk about. It's so much harder to do. And I just pray for every single person in this room because this lands in all kinds of places. And I pray that you, uh, by your grace, would enable them uh, to be people who offer forgiveness. God, we thank you that you did not withhold forgiveness from us, even though it cost the life of your son. We thank you for Jesus' sacrifice. We thank you for the grace and mercy that you extend to us each and every day. We love you, and it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.